Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. Today, we're speaking to Courtney Orloff and Prabhjag Archer, who are both dental core trainees at the Eastman. Uh, Courtney's currently DCT2 in restorative dentistry, and Prab's a DCT2 in paediatric dentistry. And now that I've gone into this paediatric job and I've started to do more sort of bread and butter dentistry, you do actually realize actually it's, it's kind of like riding a bike you don't always forget sometimes you may just need to brush up on your skills where the dct one post is concerned and i know we were talking about this earlier you know i feel i have so much more confidence and understanding of complex medical histories knowing what needs further investigation knowing what doesn't need further investigation knowing what sort of workup is required and and when um, and so far this year although i'm not even a quarter of the way through i've seen a huge improvement and huge sort of confidence growth with regard to clinical understanding. With your host, Josh Hudson. And I think a lot of trainees are going to be coming to the end of their DFT year or the end of their DCT one year, and they're going to be thinking about their DTT roles. So I think this is a really exciting opportunity to share our ex all of our experiences of DCT to hopefully help out some of those people coming through uh, in the next few years. So just to start off with, Prab, um, tell us a little bit about your history to this point. So where did you do FD? What did you do your DCT1 in? So, um, well, firstly, thanks for having us. Um, so I graduated from University of Birmingham okay. uh, in 2019 with my BDS. Um, and then I went back home for my foundation year and I went to do that in Berkshire. Okay. And I was working at a practice in Slough. Um, and then I went on to do DCT1 here at the Eastman. Um, it was a split post, oral surgery, max fax, um, mainly based at the Eastman. And then I had some time at UCLH and also Great Ormond Street. And now I'm here doing DCT2 in Peds. Perfect. Uh, Courtney, where did you do your FD? What did you do in DCT1? So obviously just to echo Prab, thanks for having us. Um, I finished my undergraduate in 2019 as well at the University of Sheffield. Um, I then came back home to London for my foundation year, which I completed in a practice in West London in Preston Road. I then went and did my DCT1 at King's in special care and community. And obviously more recently have started this DCT2 post in restorative at the Eastman. Great. So I think probably the first thing to start with talking about DCT is what made you decide to go from practice into DCT rather than staying in practice so um with me it was a little bit weird i i wasn't convinced during my fd year that i wanted to do dct training i had applied um i think applications closed february of that year mm -hmm. so i'd applied i was keeping my options open um but i'd sort of went into it that if i don't get in it's fine i can i'll explore other options yeah um and then covid hit the following month and i was slowly running out of options um and I did the interview, uh, did better than I expected and ended up getting this job. Uh, well, my previous job, sorry, my DCT1 post. Um, and it just felt like too good of an opportunity to give up. I'd heard really good things about DCT. Um, and I felt that it was a good opportunity for me to develop some skills, particularly because it was so uncertain that year with what was going to happen with dentistry. Yeah, a little bit more structured, I guess, in hospital. There was less unknown, less yeah. risk of practice yeah and I think 
that year, my friends who were doing DCT1, they realized how fortunate they were uh, to be in the positions that they were in compared to some of my friends who were in practice. Um, And it was good to see that activity was still continuing in some hospitals. So it meant that I was lucky, you know, I'd be able to start that September and carry on doing something clinical. Yeah, Um, I think you're probably the right DCT job that wasn't plagued by AGPs so much as well. Yeah, it worked out really well actually, because I started on my max fax rotation first. And it's um, here at UCLH, it's mainly an oncology unit. So they were still operating. So I still got lots of experience in those first four months. Um, And then by the time I'd moved on to dental stuff, activity was back to normal. That's good. Good. What about you, Courtney? When did did COVID have an impact on you or did you always decide DCT was the, the way forward? I think to some extent, obviously, COVID did have an impact. However, I've always thrived in an environment which has the additional structure and support and sort of regime that uh, you know, like a foundation year or a dental core training year would give you. Mm-hmm. During my foundation year, obviously, was when COVID hit and I was redeployed to intensive care at Norfolk Park. And then when I returned to practice, we had the AGP scenarios, the hour long fallow time, the lack of PPE to contend with. And really I felt that my clinical experience lacked towards the latter half of that year. And I thought that something like a DCT may provide me an opportunity to further develop clinical skills in a supported learning environment, but also worth noting an environment that would very much um, promote self-directed learning. You get in, uh, sorry, you get out what you what you put in. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think I was quite lucky. I was a that little bit further along the path that AGPs, COVID didn't necessarily impact me as much. Um, but do you feel like that impact in your FD really um, maybe affected your confidence or your um, perceive confidence into going to practice and then be a bit more independent? Or do you feel like if you'd had decided to go into practice, you would have been okay with that? I think for me personally, I was getting to that point in the year with it being sort of around the February mark that you were just finding your feet, seeing more patients, finally feeling more confident, seeking sort of reassurance from your educational supervisor less. And all of a sudden it felt like you were back to square one. Um, And there was, you know, lots of associates in the practice all trying to find time to be in a room an agp room or a non-agp room um and you know when you're doing a certain procedure because of the nature of the the ppe and the requirements around that your educational supervisor either had to be in the room with you the entire time or not be in the room at all and therefore you were a little bit more limited in what you could do just in that sort of very first point of time when we were all learning to live with covid and sort of carry out dentistry with it so I definitely do feel that I lost a little bit of confidence in that period. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I was exactly like you around the February mark. I was starting to gain more confidence. I felt a lot more independent. And then when we did come back into practice, I think it was June of that year, mm-hmm. I just felt like I was back at square one and it was a whole new set of regulations and rules to learn that going into practice, I think would have been a really big struggle for me, really, really big. and. I do still feel a little bit disadvantaged from it because, I mean, I did a max fax oral surgery job last year. So I still, you know, I haven't, when I started my current job, my DCT2 job, it'd been like a year and a half since I'd done an endo or a crown prep or even a composite billing. So 
I think I'm still in the middle of trying to find my feet again. I'm getting back to doing normal dentistry in this job now, which is quite good, albeit on children. But um, I had to make that very clear when I started this job that I really needed some support and that my confidence was lacking. Yeah, but, yeah. I think yeah, I think we all really feel for you because I, I agree. I think it's that last few months when you really start ramping up the clinical activity, start feeling a bit more independent. So Prab, do you think... Was it was it that element that maybe pushed you into DCT a little bit more, or was it more the recruitment element, or uh, the potential lack of jobs or difficulty getting jobs in practice? What diff what particular thing was it that made you go more DCT? Um, I think it was probably the more lack of jobs. I was quite worried about job security at that time. You know, as were many people in practice. Um. But I think I also, during the recruitment process, surprised myself. I didn't think that I would get the job that I got. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it did sort, it sort of opened my eyes a little bit and it, you know, made me realize that actually DCT could probably be good for me. Um, and and I've always been, there was a part of me that's always been quite interested in specialty training when I was at university, but I never really had the confidence to go for it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt like this was, maybe a wake-up call for me to think actually if you want to do it why don't you just go for it and it's worked out quite it's well. actually worked out quite well mm, that's good yeah uh you mentioned the recruitment process then again with covid the recruitment process was a little bit different for you guys but how did you how did you find it how did you find the recruitment process i think i found the re first recruitment process so for our dct1 really quite difficult um, it was during COVID, as I said earlier, I was redeployed to intensive care at Northwick Park Hospital and to try and fit in time to practice SJT questions around night shifts and a new working environment. And I think uncertainty and really fear surrounding COVID, it just felt really quite challenging. Um, it was the year where it was just an SJT, wasn't it? So I personally, I think I would naturally perform better in an interview setting where you can chat to somebody, talk through your ideas and have a little bit of face-to-face -face familiarity, make things a little bit more personal. And um, I felt at a disadvantage with only an SJT to go on and likely an SJT that I felt perhaps maybe underprepared for because of the other things that I was sort of contending with at the same time. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. It was really difficult because I don't think at that stage in our careers, we'd had enough experience of the whole national recruitment process. We'd only done it once for VT training and it was completely different this time. We were also doing, um, I can't remember if the SJT was from home or not. I did mine from home and there yeah. were IT, IT issues and- It just came with a whole host of new issues. It was really difficult. Um, and I mean, you can never tell how you've done on an SJT. You can't walk out. It's not an exam that you can walk out of and think, oh, I think yeah, I did Yeah, it's really okay. difficult, yeah. So until you got your results, it was just even more uncertainty. You know, have I got a job? Have I got the job that I want? Do I need to move? I don't, you don't really know what's going to happen in the next couple of months. I think that's really true. I think one of the difficulties with a uh, sort of a judgment test is you respond with your judgment. So you think that the answer you've given is correct and you're confident in the answer you've given because it is what you would do. And then obviously you then find out that the correct answer is something else. Um, yeah, it's hard to prepare for, it's hard to change your mindset for. Um, and, and like you said, hard to judge how, how you've done once you've finished. Yeah, but I, I guess everyone's in the same boat, everyone's in the same situation, but both of you obviously did well in that process. You both got good jobs. So um, 
Courtney, remind us, uh, what was your DCT1 job? So my DCT1 was a split special care and community post at King's. Okay. And probably you were doing max flexor surgery here. Um, I think I think it's really good, Prab, that we got you to to talk on this because I think the MaxFax oral surgery jobs can be quite different to some of the other DCT jobs. Um, so how did you find that? How did you find that experience? I, I honestly, I had really enjoyed it. It was probably one of the best years of my life, I think. Um, I got some really good experience. So I was split between three sites. So UCLH, Eastman and Great Ormond Street. So in terms of my exposure, my experience, it was really helpful. Um, I, I feel like I developed a lot of different skills as well. When I first started the job, I sort of said to myself, don't think too much into the future. Don't worry about specialty training. Just try and do what you, you know, you can to develop yourself because I hadn't been working for about six months at this point or well, not full time anyway yeah. um, so from each job I think I took away lots of different things you know my um, my max fax jobs wasn't so much in terms of clinical experience but I picked up a lot in terms of you know working with doctors and wider teams um, and then obviously my oral surgery job was great lots of practice there and then Great Ormond Street was just an amazing experience seen some things I've never seen before, probably will never see again. Yeah. Um, it's almost like three, three separate jobs. Yeah, in that it one. Felt, yeah. And it was really good because I felt that I would, not that I was, but I could never get bored in a place because there was always something exciting going on, something that I'd probably only ever see once. And then I'd move on and then I'd be in a new setting and a new environment. I quite liked the change. It was really good. And I definitely recommend that post to anybody that would be thinking about it. And people talk about Max Fax and being uh, less scared of dental stuff after maybe seeing some more complex patients, some more complex treatments. Did you feel feel that after you had that experience? Yeah, I think the job gave me a lot of perspective, um, yeah. and just seeing some of the things that MaxFact surgeons do, you know, it made me realise that you don't always. I used to get quite stressed about dentistry and work myself up and get um, quite overwhelmed by some of the procedures. And you know, this job made me realise, you know, it's it's not life or death. Someone's not dying. Yeah. Um, just do the right thing. Um, but yeah, it was good. That sounds good. And uh, not the same, but similar. Courtney, I know we were talking over coffee earlier about your experiences within your special care posts. And again, getting exposure to different things that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, just for listeners, do you want to just talk about, uh, talk about that post and the experiences you had within that? Definitely. So the sort of split community and special care post gave me loads and loads of opportunities and exposed me to a whole host of things. So not only was I just based in a community clinic and on the special care department within the hospital, but I was performing a lot of procedures under um, inhalation sedation or IV sedation. Every week I was doing um, home visits as part of the domiciliary service. And that, that sort was an experience going to people's homes. Definitely. It was a sort of a a whole new world. Um, it's not something I've done before. It was no nothing I've ever done at sort of undergrad level. Um, it, it's a completely new dynamic and your treatment options become quite limited. Um, you have to think on your feet at the time to see what you can do and how sort of how you can utilize the equipment that you have, the resources that you have and be as productive as you can be in that one visit. And I think especially where 
the more vulnerable patients are concerned. So either, you know, because of complex medical conditions or maybe uh, learning disabilities, physical disabilities or mental health um, concerns, there was definitely an element of workup required and preparation required with each of these patients and each of these clinical encounters and scenarios, um, which I hadn't experienced before and was definitely more complex than what I was dealing with in, in general practice. Yeah. So it seems like there's a lot more experiences other than clinical stuff, maybe from, from going through DCT rather than staying in practice. Um, so going on now to the DCT2 jobs. So again, so you obviously made a conscious decision after DCT1 to do DCT2. Yeah. Um, do you, Prab, you were thinking about going into practice at one point and now you're two yeah. years into this hospital pathway. I know. Were you sold after that first year that staying in hospital was a good thing to do? Yeah, so I, when I started my DCT1 job, like I said, I tried to do it with um, sort of an open mind. Um, and I'd always had a little bit of an interest in ortho. Uh, and I made that apparent to my supervisor at the time, uh, who was really, really helpful in supporting me and encouraged me to go for it if I was there. And that's Dr. Koshal. And Yeah, so <laughs> thank you to her. Um, and during that year, there was a lot of time spent with orthodontists. Um, and I did also do a uh, an orthognathic rotation as part of the year. Um, and I just realized that I did actually have quite um, a vested interest in the specialty. And I thought I may as well just go for it. I've got nothing to lose. But I also accepted at that point that I'd picked up so many skills in that year that if I did go back into practice, I would feel a lot more comfortable than if I'd done that at the end of my FD year. Um, and then obviously after talking to lots of clinicians um, and other orthodontic registrars, I decided to go for a pediatric job, uh, which I'm very grateful to have gotten. Mm -hmm. Um, and here I am and we'll see what happens in the future. Sounds good. Uh, Courtney, you, you decided to do the same, go from DCT1 to DCT2. Was that a, always the plan? Was that a conscious uh, set of steps that you're following to achieve a certain uh, endpoint, Or how did you end up deciding to go for DCT2? I think during my DCT1, I tried really hard to take advantage of every learning opportunity that sort of uh, came about. And the benefit of that towards the end of the year was really noticeable. And I thought that especially considering the reduction and maybe change in clinical experience that I'd had due to the AGP situation, um, that I was likely to benefit from an additional post which would allow me to develop and enhance sort of those bread and butter dentistry skills even further. And so I definitely had my mind set on a restorative type pathway or something that would allow me to develop and carry out restorative type skills um, to, to provide me with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more clinical skill and, um, and understanding as well of maybe more applicable to practice as well if you did decide to go down that route in the in the future do you think or definitely I mean I think actually both of these both my DCT1 post and my DCT2 post have skills which are applicable to sort of all scenarios where mm. the DCT one post is concerned. And I know we were talking about this earlier. You know, I feel I have so much more confidence and understanding of complex medical histories, knowing what needs further investigation, knowing what doesn't need further investigation, knowing what sort of workup is required and, and when. Um, and so far this year, although I'm not even a quarter of the way through, I've seen a huge improvement and huge sort of confidence 
growth with regard to clinical understanding. Okay. And um, what about the, so there's a lot of good things you talked about about DCT. What about the maybe more negative things or maybe not negative, the, the, the other side of the coin that you need to think about? I'm sure, so I did DCT in uh, restorative for both of my DCT years. Um, and I was looking at my friends in practice and I was seeing them getting nice cars, earning lots of money, going on these courses and doing these uh, nice treatment, private treatment plans potentially. Um, how did you feel comparing yourself in DCT to practice? What are the maybe downsides of being in, in DCT compared to practice, do you feel? So um, I think the money side that, you know, is something that needs to be considered and yeah it's something you're right. to think about right? yeah it yeah. definitely is and you're right i see some of my friends who are working in practice and you know they're like you said buying nice cars buying all these nice things but um i think ultimately in the grand scheme of things i don't think it matters too much i mean whatever path you decide to go down we're, we're in a, a very good profession um and i don't think that we should be going after the money i think everyone's time will come mm-hmm. um and then generally otherwise i actually don't think that there are too many negatives to the year. Um, I think the only thing that it sometimes can be is that in in my particular case for DCT1, where I wasn't doing much general dentistry, say, there was an element of me that felt like I was de-skilling. And having coming off the back of the pandemic where people hadn't been working, I felt even more disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've gone into this pediatric job and I've started to do more sort of bread and butter dentistry, you do actually realize actually it's, it's kind of like riding a bike you don't always forget sometimes you may just need to brush up on your skills um but it will come back to you but i think that's definitely something to think about and just make sure that you can keep on top of uh your knowledge and making sure that you don't forget much yeah i think that's a lot of the conversation a lot of the counter argument is that whole potential de-skilling element maybe less clinical dentistry role into a role with more clinical dentistry you felt like that was okay that transition you didn't like you said yeah. it was like riding a bike you came back into it quite yeah well. and I think that like Courtney mentioned earlier you're in a really supported environment um and I think this is the best sort of pathway to help you with that transition I think the support that you get in hospital um it's not like that you would get in practice I feel that you're you're quite independent you're alone whereas here we've got educational supervisors we've got training program directors and we, there's always someone to turn to um, and you've got time as well, I feel. Uh, in practice, you'll often find that people have got four books of patients. Whereas here, if we do need to request maybe a session or week to do something in clinical skills, or we want to take some study leave just to catch up on things, we can do that. And I think that's a really, really valuable thing to have. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned for Courtney, she's doing a restorative post, which you're picking up skills anyway, which are going to be applicable to practice. So it's not like you're completely sort of isolating yourself off from that. Do you feel like that? Do you feel no, like I, you're picking I, up a lot of applicable skills? Or do you feel like you're de-skilling in some areas? How do you feel? I think especially at the moment, I'm picking up lots of skills and things are starting to make sense at a sort of much more complex level than they did at undergraduate. And I'm learning sort of the reasons behind everything, more of the whys rather than just the what and the how. Um, which is definitely helping. But I think to sort of further continue on what Prab was saying just before, I think sometimes the cases that we face in a hospital setting can sometimes feel really quite difficult. It can be quite challenging. 
But I think we need to remember that it's the more complex cases that are referred into the hospital systems. And so, you know, sometimes, especially I can find myself spiraling and getting stressed and concerned over a more complex case. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you run the risk of thinking it's always going to be like this, but that isn't yeah. always the way. You have to remember it's been referred into the hospital for a reason. And it's just reminding yourself of that. Exactly. And seeking that support. And having done your restorative role, I know sometimes it's challenging wandering around trying to find consultants to get things checked, which maybe is a downside of DCT, whereas in practice you can kind of get on and do what you want. Um, I definitely think trying to get things looked at and trying to check things can be can be difficult. But yeah, I think the support's there if you seek it out. Definitely. The support is there and it, the support is obviously, is, it's really appreciated because... It, you know speaking for myself it's really necessary we're, we're doing complex things and things that I haven't had much experience of and to have you know experts right there on hand is really 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 helpful yeah there's a lot of knowledge in the hospital to make the most of I guess um so so taking that a little bit further so in terms of day-to-day -day, so for maybe DFs or people that haven't done DCT what does your what does the role look like how does that how is that broken up in terms of clinical non-clinical how does each of your weeks look? So, um, do you know, in both my jobs, they've been very, very different. So my current job, um, it's a really good mix. So my current timetable is that I do a full day of GA on Monday, mm -hmm. uh, which is really good because we get to see lots of interesting cases and it's lots of one-to-ones with consultants. Um, and then I have full day of admin on Tuesday. Um, and that's usually just sort of writing letters, chasing referrals, prepping GA lists sort of thing. All that stuff we were talking about, yeah, trying that, to find consultants. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then on Wednesdays, I do alternate weeks, a GA list in the morning and then alternate weeks admin just to catch up. Um, and then I have a non-AGP clinic on Wednesday afternoons. And then Thursday mornings, I have uh, a, an inhalation sedation clinic. Um, and that alternates with uh, peds oral med, which is quite good. It's interesting. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, and then I have Thursday afternoons off um, and that sort of just makes up for the long days that we do for GAs. And then on Fridays I'll have a, it's an AGP clinic in the morning and then a non-AGP clinic in the afternoon. So it's quite a varied week. Yeah, good mix. Yeah, it's a really good mix. Whereas last year it was, you know, four months of straight max vax and then four months of straight oral surgery, which was a mix of new clinics, treatment clinics, IV sedation, and then Great Ormond Street again, mix of GA, uh, new patient clinics, pre-assessment clinics. And that was really cool actually, because we saw a lot of um, MDT clinics with craniofacial uh, plastic surgery, um, and then an orthognathic uh, rotation as well, which was a lot of GA again. So Courtney, again, having done the restorative role at the East myself, I know that for the first part of that year, a lot of that is preclinical um, phantom head training. Do you want to explain a little bit uh, about that? Certainly. So at the moment, I'm really fortunate enough to be taking part in the clinical skills phantom head course. So this is a sort of two to three month period, which allows us to spend time in the clinical skills room, refining clinical skills, which I personally haven't touched on for a number of months and some time in the lab constructing crowns constructing splints and understanding a little bit 
more behind the objectives and the reasons why we do certain things. It's been really useful and it's made things on clinic with our patients much easier um, and has provided me sort of a good knowledge base going forward. Yeah, I think that's quite a, it's got quite a reputation. The fundamental course has been quite hard work. So I think um, from my own experience, I think, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And it really is helpful to have that when you go into, into clinic. So thinking about next steps, we've talked about the FD transitioning into DCT1, 2. What's next for you guys? Is it DCT3? Is it specialty training applications? Is it going back into practice? What, where are you, what are you thinking? Personally, for me, I'm only sort of, I'm less than a quarter of the way through this current post. So I think it's a little bit too early for me to decide for sure. What I want to make sure though, during this year, is that I'm taking on every opportunity that I am given, making the most of things. Because, you know, as, I, as I've as i said earlier, with regard to DCT1, DCT2, you get out what you put in. So it's about making the most of it and making sure that your self-directed learning element is effective and efficient. Mm. Um, so I think for me, I'm going to be applying for orthodontic specialty training mm-hmm. um, next year. But, you know, I know it's highly competitive, um, and there, there's quite a high chance I probably won't get in. So I'll also be applying for DCT3. Um, and I'll also be looking to potentially consider a community job if I don't get in to either of those. Okay. Um, and I guess practice is also still an option. Um, but it's really difficult to say now, you know, what I'll be doing come next year. Yeah. But hopefully one of those. Yeah, no, that sounds good. It'd be good to have a crystal ball. Yeah, <laughs> be able to be see. Able. I think that's one of the things with DCT or national recruitment. You just, it's very difficult to forward plan. Yeah. So you don't know what you're going to be doing in a year's time. Definitely. Um, I think one of the um, pieces of advice we often give to trainees is just try and keep your options open. It's yeah. trying to, I think that's a really good thing about DCT is that if you go down that pathway and you start looking at DCT, and even if you decide to go back into practice, you've got a whole host of experiences yeah. and skills that we've already talked about. You've probably got, I don't know, maybe 40 years of practice after that, if you do one year and then go back. So you've got plenty of time to do practice. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's really a great opportunity to keep your options open, gain lots of experience. And then, like you say, if you want to apply for specialty training or go into practice or do anything else, you're in a good position to be able to do that, I think. Yeah, I I think it opens your eyes. Like for me, for someone that was set on practice forever, it's definitely opened my eyes and I'm still here. I don't really want to leave actually. (laughs) That's good. So So, uh, along those lines, um, what advice would you give to somebody? So Prab, looking back at yourself when you were in DF, thinking about going into practice, thinking about going into DCT, is there any advice you would give to that person about how to make that, leap into DCT or how to take that next step or how to be effective as a DCT in terms of career progression? So I think just echoing what you said, keep your options open. I really don't think there's any disadvantage or any harm in doing a DCT job because if you do go back into practice, you've, you know, you're entering practice with a whole host of skills that someone else in the same position as you may not have, or you may get into hospital and realize actually I really like it here and be someone like me who's now considering a career um, in hospital. And I think it's different to undergrad as well. Everyone's got hospital experience through undergraduate yeah. training, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the same 
the same experience as being DCT or being in a postgrad. And I think either. it's very different. I think, you know, your I think when you're an undergrad, your priority is just to get your BDS. And when you're, you know, as a DCT, you're thinking about your career, your future, and I think your goals and your mindset are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um but I honestly would say to anybody who's coming out of university who's just started their DF DFT year to just apply. Um, and if you don't get in, you've got some experience of the recruitment process, which is fantastic experience for if you want to start interviewing for practice jobs as well. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, you know, go for it. Keep an open mind. You never know where you'll end up in 10 years. It may be the best decision you ever made. True. Mm. And I think I, I agree with what you said earlier about being surprised about getting your DCT yeah. job. I was in exactly the same position. Yeah. Um, and I think with the recruitment process the way it is, I don't think you should ever discount any mm -hmm. opportunities. Um, if you want that job, put it at the top of the list because you never, you know, you never know yeah. you could easily end up with it and um, making the most of that opportunity. I do think one advantage of the recruitment process is there is no disadvantage to putting first what you actually want yeah, to do. Exactly. There's, there's no additional, you know, element required to put first what it is you've actually got your sort of mindset on. Um, but to continue what Prab was saying earlier, I think it's worth remembering that when it comes to these applications and decisions, there is no right and wrong mm. and there is also no rush. So as part of keeping your options open, you know, it's about exploring all the opportunities, taking advantage of the opportunities, but not thinking that there's sort of one set path that you have to get on. And that actually, if you end up on a different path, just treat it as another opportunity and take advantage of that. Exactly. And I think even if you end up in a role that you don't maybe don't particularly enjoy, I think there'll always be something at the end of that the year that you can say that you've you would have got out of it. Yeah. Um, Courtney, have you any other advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about DCT? Any tips? I think what's really important to remember is to make sure that you're taking criticism constructively. I think sometimes, and I can definitely speak for myself, um, you can run the risk of getting upset by, getting distressed by criticism, but particularly with regard to these hospital pathways, so DCT1, DCT2, the people senior to you who are, you know, criticizing your work in a particular way, they're trying to help you. They're trying to make you better. They're trying to make sure that you don't make the same errors again. And they're trying to make you the better version of you. So it's to see it with an open mind and to act on it rather than let it be sort of to the detriment of anything else. Definitely. And remembering that these patients that you're seeing in hospital have been referred in because somebody has decided that it's it's not able to be it's managed in complex. general practice. So yeah, be appreciating that. Um, so I think we'll, we'll close with the same questions that we're asking everybody. So first of all, what are three things that you both enjoy about your DCT roles, would you say? So I think for me, the first thing that I really like you know, about my role and being in hospital is that there's always lots of people around and there's a really nice atmosphere and a really nice environment. And I've never once felt isolated. Um, so I really enjoy that aspect of it. And I've made so many friends. Um, and I hope I continue to make lots of friends. So I also really enjoy um, how supported the environment is um, and how there's always someone to turn to and there's always someone who I can go to for help. Um, and I just feel like everybody at the Eastman has so much to offer. 
Um, and I'm sure that's in, in any hospital where you can go, but I feel like there's so many people to extract knowledge from and to learn from. And I really enjoy that aspect of the job. Um, and the third thing I'd say is the actual job itself is really, really good. The clinical experience is fantastic. I'm doing procedures that I probably would have never done if I was here. And, you know, like you said, we're seeing patients that couldn't have been managed in general practice and they're having specialist procedures done. And it's it's honestly so good for my clinical experience. Even if I never do them again, I can say that I've done them. And I know, you know, say in the future, I go on to refer a patient for something, I'll have a better understanding of what they're gonna be having done or what their treatment will involve. Exactly. Courtney? So the three things I enjoy most about this particular post. So firstly, Phantom Head. I think it's been a really wonderful opportunity so far and I've learned so much. It's given me confidence and it's developed my skills. I also really like the fact that the patients that are referred here are more complex patients. Every day is a challenge. You know, there's always something new to go and look up, something new to understand. And therefore, you know, just to continue what Prab was saying earlier, if you ever find yourself sort of on the other side of things in the future, maybe you will have a little bit more of an understanding and at least be in a position where you can explain to your patient, this is what's going to happen. This is the kind of thing they might be doing. And finally, the learning opportunities, not just here, but sort of across DCT options are vast. You don't just get sort of weekly didactic um, teaching from the registrars and the seniors, but there's, you know, opportunity for study days, study days sort of specific to your particular trust, external study days. You know, there's opportunity to go to conferences, be that sort of local or even abroad. And I think, you know, we're in such a unique position to be utilizing those opportunities at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a huge, huge amount of opportunity if you take the most of it and en engage with it. Um, so, so my final question before we close, if you were going to give your historic self, so uh, a younger version of yourself, um, one piece of advice, what piece of advice would you, would you give? So it probably sounds a bit cliche, but it, I'd just say, just go for it. Don't doubt yourself. You'll probably end up surprising yourself. Um, and just take, take every opportunity because there's always something to learn in everything. I'd probably tell my younger self that stressing achieves absolutely nothing mm. <laughs> very true <laughs> yeah don't stress because there is a solution to everything and even if that solution is going and speaking to someone senior to you and explaining i've made this mistake and can you help me sort it out that is a solution and you're just going to waste your time stressing and there's never any good that will come of it mm. and that's the beauty of dct yeah. having somebody else that you can uh, go to when you've got problems <laughs> Um, so that, so that's great. Um, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to, to come and speak to us. It's been really interesting hearing about your own personal journeys. And hopefully that will give a bit of insight to our listeners that are considering undertaking dental core training in the future. So thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for having you. us. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.